Kevin. Jesus Murphy. Murphy? Yeah. You didn't know that was Jesus' last name? No. Well. I thought it was Christ this whole time. <laughs> God brought us together for a reason. Oh my God. Oh. Who are Speaking of grifters. <laughs> who are your favorite grifters? Oh, I gotta go L. Ron Hubbard. And, um, shit, I'm, I'm actually working on a screenplay for another grifter that is just pure genius. Who? I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to give that away yet. Okay, that's fair. So, yeah, today we're going to be talking about some grifters for real. Mm-hmm. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched The Conjuring? You mean the 112-minute long just slog that came out in 2013? Yeah, you know, it's like if Lifetime were to make a horror movie. <laughs> like, it's, I, I came to that conclusion probably about 72 minutes in, and I was just like, damn, that's exactly what this is. It 100% is. But anyway, I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. And we're here to talk about if Lifetime were to make a horror movie, <laughs> basically what this is. So in case you're new here, the format is Topher will take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and the crew. I will then take us through the plot, and then we will dive into the analysis of said plot. So, Topher, who made this thing? The opposite of John Carpenter. James Wan. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah, James Wan, who I like as a person. I genuinely like him because he knows how bad a director is, but he also just keeps... Maybe James Wan is my favorite grifter. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'm very bad at this. I was thrown way too much money way too early in my career, and I never really got proper filmmaking techniques down, but I still keep making money hand over fucking fist, so I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) You know what? God brought them together. God brought them together. Film and James Wan. (laughs) (laughs) So if you don't know James Wan, uh, he is famous for the Insidious franchise, the Conjuring franchise, the Saw franchise, and Aquaman. So many franchises. Like, he's not even just a one-off horror director. He is... No, he's got so many fucking credits to his name. And New Line Cinema's just like, here, we'll print money to give you. Man. It was written by Chad and Carrie Hayes. They also wrote the infamous, I think is the right word for it, House of Wax remake from 2005, starring none other than Paris Hilton. Oh, yeah. So that's that's the level we're starting at here. Yeah. We have, for our cast, Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson as Lorraine and Ed Warren. Mm -hmm. Lily Taylor and Ron Livingston as Carolyn and Roger Perron, the parents of this family that is haunted. Not related to Ava Perone, I don't think. No, probably not. By my best so. guess, yeah, my I don't think that this like no. working class family from like New Jersey and Massachusetts is not related to Argentinian the... like <laughs> royalty, princess something. And for the daughters, we have Shanley Caswell as Andrea. Haley McFarland as Nancy, Joey King as Christine, Mackenzie Foy as Cindy, Kyla Deaver as April. So many children. It's five daughters. Five daughters. daughters. Oh, yeah. that's, that's a lot. <laughs> um, Shannon Cook as Drew Thomas and John Brotherton as Officer Brad. Yeah. The terrible haircut and the okay mustache. Yep. Oh, there's a bunch of other people in here. Uh, we do have Dusty as Sadie the dog. 
We love a dog, except we always know it's going <laughs> to fucking die. Um, and one one of the cool little uh, cameos in here is the voice of Bathsheba, our main demon, I guess. I don't know. There's so many fucking plots in this. Uh, I'd say she's the main character. Yeah. <laughs> our witch. Um, was played by Joseph Bashara, who did a lot of the music for the film. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it was, it's kind of cool, you know. Yeah, that's that's I, that, I can say that the only producer I'm really going to shout out is Peter Safran. He's been behind basically all of James Wan's career. Uh-huh. Yeah, like I said, music was from Joseph Bashara. Cinematography was from John Leonetti. Editing from Kirk Mori. Production design from Julie Burkhoff and mm-hmm. costume design from Kristen Burke. Yep. As we said, 112 minutes long. Came out July of 2013. Uh, yeah, distribution was from Warner Brothers, but. It had a $20 million budget. Pretty standard for this, mm-hmm. like, level of horror film. Would you like to take a stab at how much it made? You said it spent $21 million? Spent $20 million. $20 million. Mm-hmm. Um, did it make 50 319.5. Oh, my God. Just in box office. Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, now. Damn. Because we're gonna shit all over this movie, <laughs> I'm just calling that shot right yeah, now. So guys, no, it's, it's, it's not. It's not good. But you know why we're wrong? Because it made that much money. <laughs> capitalism. Would you like to guess? Well, yeah, capitalism is why we're wrong. Would you like to guess the uh, how much money the entire Conjuring universe has made across? Let's see. Billions. Well, yeah. Really? Two billion dollars against one hundred seventy-eight I mean, million spent. I mean, how many? How many are there? What? What? What number is the one that just came out? So there are technically three Conjuring films, but yeah. within the Conjuring universe, there's Annabelle. There and... is The Conjuring, Annabelle, The Conjuring Two, Annabelle Creation, The Nun, The Curse of La Llorona, the bad one. Annabelle yeah. comes home, and the de- Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. There are currently eight films, and a ninth one has already been announced. Wow. Yep. That's the thing, though, with franchises is that, um, and even though this one sets up their franchise extremely clumsy, in a clumsy way, people people will just keep coming back for these, like, cheap scares, which we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, yeah. We're, we're just, you know, we'll say it off the bat. Of course, with us running a horror podcast... We, we do take on the snobbery that comes with that. Yeah, you know? I know that we're up our own asses, but we're at least honest but, about I it. Mean, I mean, you. all I'm saying is that people come here for an honest critique and here, and this is going to be a very honest critique <laughs> very here. Very honest. <laughs> um, cheap scares have their place, obviously, but it's just not our cup of tea. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, people fucking love it. It's so I was looking on Metacritic and it has a 68 in the it says 68 score and an 8.2 user score. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, out of 10 and it's a 1,170 ratings. It's got an average of 8.2, a weighted average of 8.2 from users. So right. I, I, what can I say? Yeah. I, I, it made fucking every dollar. <laughs> it's yeah. making, it's making Star Wars money, you know, yeah. like it is the second most uh, financially successful film franchise horror film franchise. Wow. You know what beats it? The first Godzilla. Really? Yeah. I mean there's like five hundred Godzilla movies yeah. and every single one that comes out is a is a hit. 
Yeah. And I, I personally love Godzilla movies. I will watch every single one of them. I've seen most of them mm-hmm. from the kaiju era to the present. Yeah. So it's I that's it's funny that it's considered a horror franchise. It technically is. Like, it's big monsters, but... Yeah. It's fun. I love Godzilla. I'm yeah. I don't dislike it. I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for, for a big dinosaur. You know, <laughs> shooting fire out of its face. You know, yeah. It's just like saving sick. the planet. Sometimes ruining Tokyo. It depends. Yeah, it depends on how he's feeling that day. He's a moody queen. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um. Other than that, I don't have much to say on who made this. I until mean, you said you later. said enough. I feel like. Wow. Okay. Well. <laughs> I guess I should shut the fuck up and get back in the kitchen, eh? I am hungry. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't eaten today. Um, but yeah, so I've said plenty, I suppose, since you've, uh, as you so lovingly pointed out. So uh, you want to take us away on some plot? I'm just saying I thought you did a wonderful job of make- making it succinct. That's Thank all. Thank you, my love. That's all I was saying. I will try. I will try to make the plot do the plot as well as you just did your section of course i just i strive for your amount of greatness (laughs) Uh, okay so uh we're in 1971 we think the set dressing is all over the place but everywhere that's why i shouted out the production designer because i wanted to shit on her later (laughs) like we think we think we're in 1971 um roger and carolyn perone they moved to this uh, farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island, and they basically got this farmhouse from like an auction from the bank. Mm-hmm. They've got five daughters, as we mentioned, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April, and then they have a dog, Sadie. Um, For a little bit. And say, yeah, Sadie says, fuck this shit. I feel some bad vibes. I'm not going into this house. And of course, everyone at home is like, duh, the dog's about to die. And then they find, like, the entrance to the cellar is boarded up. It's just, you know, it's one of those typical, like, okay, this is, like, a little creepy. And us at home are like, who in their right mind would buy this place? You know? Yeah, no, it looks like absolute shit. There's grease on the walls. There's cobwebs everywhere. Like... I'm like, at at the base minimum, you couldn't have just, like, hired, you know, like, a little cleaning crew just to, like, scrub something yeah sweep like brush a broom over it once like it looks nasty it looks horrific everything about this house screams i'm gonna fall down at any second yeah i just i don't understand it at all because like in these haunting genre type movies when you're like in a house like yeah the cinematography kind of makes it dark but like that's about it it's normally like a normal just like regular old looking house or you can at least see why people... You can see the charm about it. Like, you can see why yeah. someone would be like, yes, I want to live there. This, no. No, no, <laughs> like, no. Not, not for two not seconds. Not a square inch of this house makes me think I want to live there. Like, I'm thinking back to Amityville. Yeah. Uh, the original, obviously. Yeah. Um, from 79. That house is charming. Yeah. I love... I also love that movie. But that house is very charming. Yeah. There are... It's obviously fucked up. But, like, I really enjoy the look of that house. It's cute. It looks livable. It looks lived in. This looks like... like, They went too far with this. It's fully asylum looking. It's dilapidated. Yeah. yeah, It's it's a mess. So, of course, you know, in in your typical haunting movie, it it starts with small offenses, small paranormal offenses. Like mm-hmm. you don't really notice it, or you know, uh, it's like oh weird, the clocks all stop at three o seven a.m. 
Um, and like birds keep killing themselves, like flying yeah. out of the windows and breaking their neck, um, all this stuff. Um, and then, of course, 15 minutes in, Sadie dies, just letting you all know. Um, the dog is found dead in the backyard. I very strategically went and got water during this moment <laughs> in the movie because I can't stand it. I don't stand for it. I don't want to see it. I hate it. Except for in The Thing. Oh, y- yeah. I mean. That's the one time you've never been like upset that the dog died. Well, that that's kind of one of those. That's kind of like um, in um, I Am Legend when the dog had to die. Like, it's sad, but you kind of get it. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, this it's an old one, yeller situation. Yeah. This one, I'm just like. The unnecessary killing of animals, like in Babadook <laughs> and like all that. I'm just like, come on. God, we could have just cut that out. The, the, what did I, well, we just, we just fucking covered it. Sam Raimi. Dragged me to hell. Yeah. Oh yeah. When she kills the kid and dragged me to hell. No. That's the most ridiculous one. That one is actually kind of funny to me because it's so Raimied. I hate it. I hate it all. <laughs> so then uh, there's one night where Christine has a pretty direct encounter with a spirit. Right. And then you've got Carolyn who hears like clapping in the hallway and then she gets tr- like literally trapped in the basement. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because like the, how the girls play like hide and hide and go seek basically is they like. They call it hide and clap, yeah. Yeah. If they think they're close, they'll say, or if they need direction, they'll say, like, okay, clap. And then they'll go and find, you know, it's it's kind of like that. So that's, I think, where the clapping came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spirits have learned the game. Uh, and then we've got Andrea and Cindy are, like, quite literally attacked in their room. Um, yeah, this very um, um, Yurai-looking yeah. spirit attacks like, jumps on top of uh, Andrea, yeah. Yeah. I guess I... Okay, so I kind of glossed over, like, the very um, beginning here where we get these, like, two roommates who who call on Ed and Lorraine Warren, who I'm about to get into with this story. But in the beginning, we see that they call on, on them because they believe that, like, a doll has been possessed or, like, there's just a demonic doll or mm-hmm. whatever and ed and lorraine do like an exorcism or not an exorcism uh yeah right of the they do something they collect the doll they put it in their like little cellar and yeah. that's where annabelle came from mm-hmm. which this this is based on a true story a true encounter with ed and lorraine which i'll get into kind of the history of them later but i do want to point out while we're here this beginning part has nothing to do, it barely ties in yeah, with our main it's plot. Like, it's like 10 minutes before you get to the that yeah. stupid wall of text in the screamer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really bad. Um, and then you found, like, typos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's just it's just bad. Uh, but anyway, it, it has nothing to do with the rest of this plot. And I just want to point that out while we're here. That's why I forgot to even mention it. Yeah, it's clearly that New Line gave them like a multi-picture deal. Yeah. And so they said, well, let's set up the Conjuring universe. It's we're so going to do this. It's, it's so, so unnecessary. And then, so back to this main plot. Which back at the farm. It, it, yeah, back at the, back over the farm in Rhode Island. Carolyn uh, decides to contact Ed and Lorraine. And they agree to take this case. They do like an initial investigation, walking through the house and everything. They're like, it might require an exorcism, which we have to go to because they make a big deal about the girls not being baptized. 
and they make a big deal about like oh well a priest has to perform it um and then it ends up like they the only way that they're going to be able to do it is if they get direct permission from the vatican um (laughs) what yeah um because nobody's i'm like zoning out because it's just so stupid (laughs) such a clumsy plot yeah Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So this is also when they start kind of doing some research on the house that they should have fucking done before they bought it. Come on. Yeah. Come on, man. I mean, I uh, I get that it's like in an auction, but like I'm pretty sure with those deals, can't you like, are you even able to back out? I don't know because it's an auction. When it comes to property. Like it feels like they bought the house sight unseen, right? Yeah, that is what it feels like. Because they're acting like they've never seen this house before. Like, they don't yeah. know anything about it. They're like, they've never seen this house and they just move in, you yeah. know? Yeah. I guess I guess in an auction, you're not allowed to do that. But... I don't know. Yeah. I've never bought a house in an auction. I've never bought a house, period. So, <laughs> um, believe it or not... What? You, a millennial, can't uh, afford I buy a house? too much avocado toast. You're right. Okay? I will admit to that. I buy $11 avocado toast at least once a month, which by boomer... <laughs> Logic that means I'll never buy a house. <laughs> but you know what? I, a bitch loves to brunch. Like, yeah, sometimes you got to get a bottomless mimosa. I'm sorry. Eat my ass. Um, Later, dear. <laughs> anyway, so in their research, they find that a witch, alleged, alleged, come on, this is during like the witch trials, alleged witch mm-hmm. named Bathsheba Sherman. She apparently sacrificed her weak old baby to the devil and killed herself uh, in 1863 at the convenient time of 3.07 a.m. after cursing all who take her motherfucking land. Mm -hmm. So basically, they say that she put a needle in like the back of the baby's skull in order to kill it. Um, but there was oh, yeah. never a trial. Like, I'm talking about, like, the real case now, not the movie. Um, in the movie, they're like, this happened, definitely. But in real life, um, there was never a trial. Mm-hmm. So she was never found guilty or anything. Well, and here's the thing, too. The timeline of this is so stupid because she would have had to be 200 years old yeah. for this to be, for the timeline to work out. Mm-hmm. At least 150 years old. Because the Salem Witch Trials, they say she was accused in the Salem Witch Trials. Mm-hmm. Those were in 1692 and 1693. It's it's just like... And she says they say that she was died in 1863. Like, that doesn't fucking line up. They're doing convenient storytelling and just it's banking on nobody actually catching them on the facts. Clumsy and lazy. Yes. So, after this, they find, you know, a lot of deaths and suicides, murders have happened in the house um, or the houses that were built on the property. Mm -hmm. So, they're, you know, doing the normal investigation shit. They put cameras, bells around the house with, we are introduced to new characters, Drew and Brad, the officer that you talked about is Brad. Um, And then we've got the assistant, Drew. Who, like, in a random one-off scene has, like, sexual tension with a lady and then it's done. I don't get... I I, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, It seemed pointless. But anyway, (laughs) so this part's part's fun. Um, There's one morning where we see Bathsheba. She, like, shows up. She she appears with Carolyn and, like, pukes 
black bile into her mouth and this is what we assume like possesses her nor like yeah, normally it's a pretty standard haunting, that's a pretty standard yeah. possession moment yeah the vomiting it happens in evil dead as I'm well placing the darkness in you mm-hmm. then that night they hear a spirit luring cindy into the wardrobe where they find like this secret passage in the house where they like move uh some yeah. pieces of wood and this whole time uh, the little, the the youngest girl has this, like, really creepy friendship with a ghost, uh, Rory. She's mm-hmm. like, she's like, he's sad all the time. He's my friend. And how I see him is through this haunted looking music box carousel thing that's, like, has a clown that pops out and, like, a little swirly thing in the mirror. And at the Fucking end of the song, awful. you can see him. And I'm just like... This is so heavy-handed and the most haunted fucking toy, like, possible. Like, Jesus Christ. I've never seen something more haunted, and I love antiquing. Um, (laughs) uh, So, Lorraine decides to go into the passage and falls through the floorboards. So now she's in the cellar. She sees the spirit of this woman who they think Bathsheba had possessed a long time ago and used her to kill her kid. Yeah, she made me do it or whatever. Yeah. But like, God, this fall is ridiculous because this is a very (laughs) tall house. Yeah. In what world does Lorraine not just have shattered jelly? For legs after that fall. I know, right. She falls straight onto her feet. Nobody even calls anybody for her. They're just like, girl, you good? And she's like, yeah. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. She uses the mother to kill the child. And you're just like, get get thee to a doctor. Like, what is happening? (laughs) The ER. Will someone please think of Lorraine's... Poor, just destroyed legs. She's gonna need spinal, like spinal reconstruction surgery. <laughs> She's like paralyzed. Good God, slip disc. Who? She doesn't have any discs anymore. It's just one little compressed tube. I feel so bad. This <laughs> poor thing. And they just like they're just like, well, what's happening with the spirit? They don't give a shit about. Yeah, for all the, the all of all of this Ed being like, I can't bring her back in. I can't bring her back in. And then she's he's like. But no, like, just tell me what the spirit said, psychic yeah. wife. Oh, and then we've got this side story, too, oh, so many of side stories. their child, Judy. So it's like it's like in an effort to... Um, They're just setting up Annabelle again. Yes, and it's in an effort to, I guess, have a link between Carolyn and Lorraine, because they do have that moment where she's like, remember what you told me, this is your... Daughter and like all this stuff. So it's again, it's very clumsy, but I think that that was probably what they were trying to do. Well, they're also trying to show that because they say like it's going to fight back. Yeah. And so like that's where Ed keeps trying to, you know, sideline his clairvoyant wife Mm -hmm. because he's so worried about the time that she had a week long depression after the previous exorcism that they were a part of because she saw something every time yeah that whole speech it's gonna take too big a piece yeah so um had a big mud pie pulled off too small a slice what (laughs) how did you even get there my brain's broken (laughs) okay so in the meantime the perone family decides to go to a motel and Ed and Lorraine are taking the evidence to Father Gordon, who is kind of like their liaison at the Catholic Church. So he says that 
again, like it has to come from the Vatican because they're not members of the church. Mm-hmm. And then we go back to our other plot where the Warren's daughter, Judy, is then attacked by Bathsheba um, using Annabelle. Again, like just trying to set up this um, franchise. Carolyn just snatches Christine and April to take them back to the house to kill them. The girls like are the other girls are like in a tizzy saying like she smelled like rotting meat and she took our sisters and she went back to the house and stuff. So they're like. Oh, the spirit told her to do this. She's going to go kill them, like, for sure. Uh, So Ed, Lorraine, and Brad find Carolyn in the cellar, then, like, trying to stab Christine. Yeah, they're holding her just, like... And she is just yeah. like fighting against them with a pair of scissors, trying to stab her daughter to death. Yeah, doing doing the uh, full, full exorcist sounds and everything so they tie her to a chair and kind of like put a sheet over her like they they just try to restrain her Mm -hmm. um ed decides that this exorcism cannot wait Uh, there's just not enough time to wait for she'll die first yeah so he's like i'm gonna do it myself which interesting fact apparently um i mean lorraine i think ed was dead by the time they did this movie but lorraine had a six yeah lorraine had a heavy hand in this film but she said that she was like we would never perform an exorcism she said we did a seance but not an exorcism like Mm -hmm. in real life because we're not priests but I think to you know to add um, drama they added you can do it babe god so Carolyn escapes this little bind that they've tried to put her in she tries to kill April but this is the part that I was talking about where Lorraine is like, fight it, fight it. Remember, like, you have special memories with your family. You love your family. Like, snap out of it sort of thing. So uh, between Lorraine and, and then Ed trying to complete the exorcism and save them, um, they end up lifting Bathsheba's curse, we think. So they head home and Ed adds the haunted music box from the Perrone's house to their room of cursed artifacts, which... Fun room, like yeah, it's great. that like Indiana Jones, the end of one of them where it's the giant warehouse of everything he's ever recovered. Yeah, and that's the end of the movie. Which for for such a not detailed plot, this movie felt like it was three hours long. It's because there's fifth, there's as many plots as there are jump scares. Yeah. Oh, what was my what was my end tally? I put it on my phone. So what was the okay the the end tally? In a 112-minute movie of jump scares was 17. (laughs) And all I have to say, really, about that number or those numbers is if you are relying on jump scares to keep your audience engaged, then you have made a shitty film. Yep. You have not managed the tension in... You don't have... You are using, like, cheap scares to keep your audience engaged. You can do that through so many other methods other than jump scares. Yes. And you can manage that tension. You can do so many different things. So, like, you have failed if you are relying on that type of fear to keep your plot going and keep your viewers engaged. Yeah, exactly. No, it's... it's you failed to build an atmosphere and you failed to build tension. You're just yeah. using, yeah, like you said, you're just using uh, uh, cheap thrills for, yeah, for what, for what? Because um, you're not, not telling a story. Fear. We don't all love yeah. cheap thrills. Um, but 
Yeah, it's it, it's just it's too much. It's like I think there was like two. Uh, there were three in two minutes that we yeah counted. we did yeah and five through eight happened or I guess six seven and eight or five six and seven whatever yeah. it was. Um, it, yeah. Within like two minutes, and and that's just like again, that's just it's too much. I get that some people enjoy those cheap thrills, but eight point two out of ten from a eleven hundred reviews, almost twelve hundred reviews. Yeah, I know it's just again, it's, and we should say why we're covering this too. It's you yeah. know we understand that we're not going to love every film, and we do try to keep a pretty positive spin here, but yeah. also. It is the case that we have to cover some of the most important things. Like th- this is an important film franchise, no, no question. totally, totally. This this is probably at least today something that if you like word association horror films, someone would say The Conjuring. Yeah, like, they would say The Conjuring. They would say Insidious. They would say Annabelle. They would say basically anything that James Wan has created. Yeah. And I will say I do appreciate these movies existing because it makes funding it it loosens up the purse strings for a first other indie horror films that's a good point that's a very good point um, um i've said that before i think but it's you know one of the things of i will take this pill yeah because it, it's a bitter pill to swallow but it's it's one i'll swallow every time because i understand that like as a horror filmmaker myself this makes these movies make me able to do that uh because capitalism is stupid but uh, yeah, that's kind of my that's my most positive spin on this is that I am actually glad these exist as much as I don't like them. Yeah. I'm very glad they exist. Yeah, no, and that's that is a a very very good point. And I think that there is there is a place for these types of horror movies. You know, they're again not our favorite, but I'm not. You know, there 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 is a a place and a reason for them. Um, it just really comes down to like personal preference. Yeah, and, and I can say it's bad, and everybody can still love it. You know? Yeah, like, no, I, I like plenty of poorly made movies. Um, I just don't like this poorly made movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, like I said, I think it's it's like if Lifetime were to try to make a horror movie. Um, I don't know if Lifetime could have made it. Like this is genuinely like has some scary imagery and you know stuff like that. Sure, but you. you but it's the drama. The, cheap, the, the drama, cheesy. the cheesy acting, the cheap scares, like all of this stuff, it just screams Heavy Lifetime. Over expository script. Yes, exactly. So many um, plot lines that you that you're trying to like cram in. Yeah, and like I like a lot of the actors that were in this, but I ju- I don't know if it was the direction or what, but it just it came off to me as like a show on the CW or a Lifetime movie, more so yeah. a Lifetime movie, yeah. or like a Hallmark Channel movie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we can definitely talk more about like I we shouldn't just say this movie is bad. I can we can explain why, right? Yeah. So one thing that just I I was yelling about <laughs> yes was. There are about 15 different camera styles used. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I keep using number 15. There are several. There are way too many camera styles used. There are yeah. static tripod shots. There are some dolly shots. There are zoom shots. There are a lot of shaky cam. And then there's steady cam. There's flips. There's reverses. There's double reverse. Like, it's just so many different styles of shooting. Yeah. And it's... It's that's that's bad filmmaking because it doesn't give a consistent tone to the film, which is, I think, what makes the atmosphere not be there. Totally makes them have to rely on the jump scares. If they use a single style or two styles, you know, then 
that's that's a consistent image and that gives you the feel of a consistent tone you can't have consistent tone when you're inconsistently using uh shot styles or shot selection yeah it kind of felt like um james wan was like was like i'm gonna show people uh, like i know i know how to do this I know how to do yeah. this. I know how to do that. When we're all like, we don't really need that. Like, you can simplify. Yeah. Please simplify because that is what is. It's kind of like, it's kind of like with any any art, you kind of do have to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. But you have to also hone in on what you think works. It's it's about having like it's about forming that sort of like that artistic insight and opinion to mm-hmm. say like I could do it about 15 ways. Yeah. But I'm going to do it this way because I my eye says that that's where this needs to go. Right. And that's the point of directing, right? You are yeah. overseeing the whole thing and you are saying like I could do 20,000 things with this, but I'm going to choose this type of camera work, this type of shot and I'm going to stay consistent with it because I this is my vision for this film. Yeah. You know. So like like the we talked about this when Carpenter did Halloween, he used a shit ton of follow shots and it's a specific style of follow shot that he does. It's mm-hmm. him. When he did the thing, everything is static. Yeah. There are very few cuts. The scenes are very long and they're all shot wide and they're all shot isomorphic. So it's or anamorphic, I should say. Um, that the, he makes those choices and he uses that style throughout. Yeah. There are very few wide shots in Halloween. There are establishing shots, yes, but most of them are handheld, semi-steady cam shots. And it's used to make you feel that tension. Yep. And then you look at, like, Raimi, right? Like, Raimi has basically two sequences that he uses. Mm-hmm. He has the Raimi sequence, which we described, which is about, like, it's, a, like, 15 different cuts. Yeah. Typically, it's a lot. It's a very a bunch of very very fast cuts. Yeah. Uh, and then, thing. Yeah. And then he has the Raimi follow, which is the, uh, when like Ash is being chased by the uh, spirit into yeah, the for cabin, sure. and you're in the perspective of the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And his his whole his whole deal is lots of fast cuts, and then scenes, and then fast cuts, and then scenes, and mm-hmm. so that's that's the Raimi style. Like it's it's using a couple different techniques, but one he developed both of them, and two, yeah, <laughs> he uh, it's just like so much. He, like his style is okay. I'm gonna get lots of coverage. Yeah. This never felt like they really knew what they were doing. Again, like you said, yeah. like it's they they just just it's like he was flexing, being like, I could shoot it all these different ways. It's like you just opened a film textbook and just read about all the different styles yeah. and did them. Yeah. It, it yeah. So it just feels it's it creates an inconsistent tone. That's what a cinematographer is for. Yeah. Is to say. I create the world through the lens through which the world views this story. Yeah, and you're absolutely right about um, that being the lack of the atmosphere or where that stems from because we've just seen so many other wonderful directors who use maybe one or two jump scares in a 90 minute or, you know, 100 whatever minute movie. And those jump scares are so much more, have so much more impact because you've been developing the tension for like at least 30 to 45 minutes Mm -hmm. and then it and then it releases with like a jump scare you know what i mean like the this in this one it just it lost its flavor every time 
It's like when you eat like a bag of potato chips that are very flavored. And by the time you get to the end, you're like your tongue is scratched and you yeah. can't taste anything. Yeah. Like, that's you're kind just of like what this mushy like. potato chips and you're stuck in your molars by the end. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it just like it, it. The flavor wears off. It's it's just it's whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree with you there. I just think as like an umbrella term i think this movie is just very clumsy i think that's exactly right that's exactly the way i would put it yeah i, I was reading a really good article uh a review from uh, simon abrams who's writing for roger ebert i'll link it below the episode um, but that's exactly what he was saying it's just heavy-handed it's clumsy it beats you over the head with everything like it is just relentless yeah and not in a good way <laughs> yeah it's relentless with like Hey, so do you understand the, what's going on here? Hey, so do you understand what's going on here? Hey, so do you understand what's going on here? Oh, we're doing 15 things at once, too. So, like, we're also going to tell this story about Annabelle so we can set that up. And also, we're going to set up this whole thing with uh, Judy Warren, the daughter. And we're going to do... Uh, oh, yeah. By the way, did you know that the Warrens worked on the Amityville Horror? Oh, did you know... Like, all of this stuff. Like, it's just yeah. like... And, like, the, it's... Let's see. The scenes before the credits, or the opening title screen, are the Annabelle haunting... Yeah. The demic so them also them explaining that they're demonologists. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the and then like yeah, the and then the uh the reporter talking to him and like don't touch things. Mhm. So like all of that happens before we even see the title. Yeah, and it's... Actually, I might be wrong. Like, the, the reporter might come after, but there's a lot of there's a lot of like I don't mind a see a movie that takes a long time to get to that. Yeah. But it felt so weird. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I do, it kind of follows the same format as um, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, where we've got, yeah. like, personal information, and then we've got, like, shit going down. And then we've got personal information, and then we've got shit going down. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of like that, except this one has a thousand different plots, and Exorcism of Emily Rose is kind of like, you get the information through the trial, and then, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like, it's a little bit less convoluted but i mean that movie is pretty well written i think it's a solid story i just don't like the way it's told like i it's not a horror like we talked we talked about this when we covered emily rose that at least it's consistent in its tone mostly consistent in its shot selection yeah it in its but it's not a story about it's a story about a haunting but it's not really yeah yeah, and um, I do I do appreciate that this is based on a true story. Um, yeah, let's dive into that. I find I find um, I find Ed and Lorraine pretty pretty fascinating just because it really feels like like I've read a lot of criticisms on that about them and all of all of these things. Whenever whenever someone says like you know they're a self taught and self professed like demonologists. I'm just like, what is that? What does that mean? And she says that she's, yeah. And she says that she's, you know, clairvoyant and a light trance medium. I just find it so interesting. Um, And a lot of criticism that has come out about them is that, you know, people reviewed, they they were like, they're nice people, but their claims are, you know, I think it says at, at best as tellers of meaningless ghost stories and at worst, dangerous frauds Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like they were so they they were preaching like this faith in a weird way by by trying to assert 
power by saying like, I'm an expert in this. And what I'm saying is that if you're not a believer, you're more likely to be haunted or possessed or like, it's this weird, like religious grifting that, you know? Yeah. And I mean, they also, but they claimed they could scientifically prove the existence of ghosts. Yes. And they're, um, what is, I, I, I saw something else. It's, they have a ton of fish stories about evidence that got away. Mm-hmm. They're not doing good scientific investigation. They have a predetermined conclusion which they adhere to literally and religiously. Yeah. This was said by um, Steve Novella from Connecticut Post. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Um and we all know, I don't think I really need to get into, we all know that they did Annabelle, Amityville, um, Enfield, Poltergeist, um, the Snedecker House, the Smurl family, and all of all of, yeah, they did. They're attached to all these things because they made themselves famous. Yes. And that's really what they wanted to do. Because what, what never comes up in these movies is that they were making bank, bank. doing this. And what's interesting is I watched um, an interview, a very brief interview with, Um, Lorraine and James Wan and the questions that the the reporter is asking Mm -hmm. um, or the journalist is asking Lorraine she goes on these like tangents and never actually answers the question sounds right yeah sounds like a grifter yeah she goes on these tangents and I just remember she she fumbles to find her words a lot she and I mean she is older Sure, yeah. has, you know, clearly been through some shit. But yeah, she she fumbles to find her words because I think she's worried about saying something incorrect, maybe, or saying something that could set something off. Mm -hmm. And then she just draws a circle around the answer and then never gets to it. Yeah. There's even one, there was even one question where she was like, I don't have the answer for you. And then like went off on a tangent about something else (laughs) and said like, it's been like, it's very hard to you know it was like about her psychic ability or whatever um she was like you can't manage it but it you know you can you just live with it and i was like i don't even know how that related to the question but okay so it's they're they're pretty fascinating to me and i think it's funny that they're kind of the line that they that I think we're supposed to find romantic in this oh, is like, God. God brought us together or whatever. Or how about she, in the, in the fiction of the film, she risks her life and her sanity to assist her husband in this exorcism that they shouldn't be doing. And they both say they shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. And he says, you did good in there. She says, no, you did. What? <laughs> Again, Lifetime. Lifetime making God. a horror movie. This script is so bad. But yeah, I, back to them as grifters. It, whenever someone says, whenever someone needs you to believe something yeah. in order to get paid, that's a grifter. Yeah. I don't care what it looks like. If it's a church, if it's a person, if it's someone saying like, if it's someone who's listing off every single illness and problem they have and asking for a dollar for the bus, I'm still going to give them the dollar for the bus, but that's a grift. Yeah. Like that's what it is when they need you to believe it. it. That's a really, really simple way to put it. And I like that. I listened, I listened to a lot of podcasts about grifters. I am fascinated by grifters. I think they're the coolest thing in the world and also horrific. Mm -hmm. Like there are good and bad grifters, right? And not just in terms of skill, but in terms of like, Harmful on the yeah, scale of harmful yeah. or like harmless. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
like there's your uh, there's your Danny Ocean type grifters, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's your L. Ron Hubbard's. Yeah, uh, he is a horribly dangerous man who committed thousands and thousands of crimes. I'm sure. Yeah. Please don't sue me, Scientology. I don't have any money for you. Um, but you will that's, not it, get a lot out of it. But it's a grift. Yeah. That's what it is. And mm-hmm. that's it's that he needed people to believe the things that he said because and then needed them and to order in order to give him money. Yeah. And that's what it that's to me what a grift is. Yeah. And it it can be as simple as needing you to believe that you're you this like it, it, magic beans, right? Yeah. It can yeah. be as simple as that, not really harmful. Okay, you traded a milk cow for magic beans. Sure, yeah. you got grifted. <laughs> But yeah. you need, I need you to believe they're magic, right? Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. that's a really good way to put it. I'm definitely going to steal that for if I ever need to explain what a grifter is. Because <laughs> that, that's actually, that's the best way I think I've ever heard anyone describe it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Just here to gas you up, you know. Oh, that's what real ones do for each other. Uh-huh. I do like Patrick Wilson's performance in this. Yeah. There is a little, little hit and miss for me. Mm-hmm. Just as an actor in general. Like, I love her in The Departed, but I didn't love love her in this. She's doing a technically good job. It just was kind of like, meh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they did as best they could with a bad script, is what I would say. Yeah. And pretty lame direction. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I just, I, I always come back to James Wan, and I'm just like, why do you, I, I know why you keep making movies, because they keep handing you millions of dollars. Like, you went yeah. from being an indie filmmaker to probably one of the richest directors out there. Yeah. I can't imagine that he's, like, F- Favreau comes to mind, is probably someone who's a little bit richer than James Wan. Yeah. Um, because he has to be getting fat checks from Marvel. Yeah. After only having directed, what, two of the films, but mm-hmm. um, he's another guy who went from indie to, like, megastar. Yeah. So I, it's just interesting because, but, like, Favreau makes competent films. Right. And that's the, I think that's the difference is, like, John Favreau does actually know what he's doing. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. he worked. He, grunt, he like, that's the, that's the comparison I want to make. Yeah. Is that John Favreau, as much as I don't really, like, the Marvel movies are fine. They're schlock. Mm-hmm. But they're decent schlock. Yeah. You know? There's better and worse ones, but they're they're fun. Yeah. They're campy. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, over serious in a lot of ways and they're not as good as people make them out to be, but they are perfectly serviceable movies. Yeah. Like I wouldn't put in any of them in like the canon, but they're good yeah. enough. These but and I think it comes from that vision of like most of the people who are directing for them fought their way through the indie world. Right. Other than, but Kenneth Branagh really mm-hmm. is the only like major, major, and there's a couple of others in there. Like, um, there's some, we we've talked about like some producer to director yeah. pipelines, mm-hmm. but the but Juan never fought his way through the indie world. Not really. Everybody keeps calling him an indie filmmaker. The only indie film he made was Saw. Yeah, and then he had a bajillion dollars. Yeah, forever. Yeah. And as like proteges who are just as bad as he is. Yeah, I, yeah. No, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, like I said, I think that you know these types of movies have their place for sure. But I, I'm not going to sing their praises just because they do. No, I'm I'm giving a very very honest, very honest review today. I yeah. just I don't. I think again. I'm going to say the word again. It's clumsy. Yeah. And we don't thing. like coming on here and shitting all over movies, but no. it's, I, I think there is space for negative reviews. I mean, it's not like we're not even a review show. We're an analysis show, right? Like we don't yeah. give a score. We've been asked to and both have refused because that's not what we're here to do. We're here no. to analyze the film, not review it. Yeah. 
we're, we're critics of a sort, but not that kind of critic. Yeah, this it's, is this is one of those ones, though, where you can't really go into a deeper analysis because it all is just shoved down your throat. Yeah, it's, there's it's nothing, very surface, yeah. There's no symbolism. There's nothing for you to even speculate about. There's no, like none of that because it literally is all shoved down your throat and all of the information about like the true story is out there. There's no, yeah. There is zero speculation about any... I mean, of, of course, when it comes to like documenting things all the way back in those times, they're, 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 you know, words that are misconstru- misconstrued and like things like that. But in general, this movie just says, here's all the information you don't, and it doesn't leave you really thinking about it when you leave the theater. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I, we talk a lot about underwriting and overwriting. Yeah. Underwriting means you trust your and and I've put it this way to friends who when I have had to explain that term those terms. Um, underwriting is a vast amount of trust in your audience mm-hmm. to the point of naivety a yeah. lot of times. Like uh, yeah, like where underwriting is like I, I trust my audience and that can be where you get into like really arty films that don't explain what's going on. Yeah, because they're like no, they'll get it. And that's the that's like the worst example is like someone being like, well, you just didn't understand. It's like, no, dude, you didn't fucking explain it. Yeah. Like you you didn't show or tell. Mm-hmm. Um, is the bad version of underwriting. Good underwriting is trusting your audience to fill in the fill in the gaps. Yeah. Overwriting is a lack of trust in your audience, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like a lot of science fiction is overwritten, but it has to be because of world building, right? Yeah. Like um, there's a the I think I've mentioned this book series on the podcast before uh nk jemison's fifth season trilogy yeah is very overwritten at parts but it's because she's having to do world building she's creating in this like sci-fi fantasy or you know speculative fiction world yeah that doesn't have any clear relation to ours other than humans exactly and so, so you, you do you need have to, to overwrite yeah. you can't trust your audience to just get that yeah but this is the bet this is a, this movie is a bad version of overwriting where it's not even just a lack of trust in the audience it's like they wanted to write the, they just like slapped a Wikipedia article and made some dialogue changes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a research exactly document it. that's presented as a film. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. And I think that that is where this movie, I can see why it's in, in some ways an easy pill to swallow for people. Oh, it's super palatable. It, and, and, you know, you don't have to think too much about it, but it is, I don't think there's room to think about it. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the jump scares. Like, I can see how this is like a good whatever, like you're in middle school or high school and you're mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go see a scary movie with like a date and it's going to be fun because in the same way that like roller coasters are fun. They're cheap right. thrills, but like, you know, you, you, you know what you're getting out of it. Totally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know exactly what it is. Yeah. It's, you know, like, like you don't, you don't go to Starbucks for like the, you go to Starbucks for the familiarity. You don't go to Starbucks for like, you know, mm. the, you don't go because it's good coffee you've ever had. Yeah. yeah. You go because it's serviceable. And you, yeah. And you know, you know what you're getting out of it. And with this franchise, you know that you're going to get those cheap scares. And if that's what you're into, that's what you're into, you know? Yeah. So it, it was rated R and I genuinely can't tell why. It feels yeah. like a PG thirteen horror movie. We've it talked does. about that before. It does. It's fairly bloodless. Mm-hmm. Like there's just really no gore other than the one bile scene. I guess there's threats to children. There's some blood. There's the blood yeah. 
oh, when she starts spitting out blood when they have the hood over her, uh, over Carolyn. Yeah. And then there's some blood in the, uh, the, the, the one in France that they keep cutting back to. Yeah. But generally, yeah, I like, I, this feels so PG 13. Yeah, it does. I, I definitely agree so with safe. you. Yeah. And maybe it's just the amount of, scares like i don't really know what goes into like the ratings and whatnot i sometimes i do feel like whoever does that it's like a weird gut feeling and there's no logical explanation yeah no there's for it. there's definitely a lot of double standards with it but i was just curious yeah. yeah i was thinking about that because i was like i was i was surprised it was rated r i kept sitting there thinking this is pg-13 horror and i know we're desensitized we watch horror movies all the fucking time but, but you're like, right there's not a lot of gore there there scary images but none of it has anything to do with like cutting off your appendage or yeah. you know gushing blood or anything like that because it's like it's funny i was reading another a very very positive review uh for this film that said i don't know that there could be a better horror film to come out in the year of 2013 you know what came out in 2013 evil dead yeah dude what that is like it's so funny that like that's such this a is... stark contrast because Evil Dead was such a fantastically made movie. Yeah, it. I mean, go back and listen to our episode on it because yeah. it's just the opposite of this. Um, we did a three parter because we covered the original and then yeah, the let's see or two parter. I'm just pulling up the list of of. 2000 uh, films made in 2000 horror films made in 2013. Okay, we had Babysitter Massacre. That was a fun one. Yeah. Bad Milo, the Carrie remake, which was serviceable. Curse of Chucky, The Conjuring, Dark Skies, Demon's Book, Evil Dead, Friday Fright Night Two, <laughs> <laughs> Hatchet Three, Haunting in Connecticut Two, Spit on Your Grave Two, Jug Face, Last Exorcism Part Two, uh, Pro Wrestlers versus Zombies with Roddy Piper. Uh, Texas Chainsaw 3D, VHS 2 came out that year. Oh. Uh, which is far superior to the first one. Yeah. Uh, we are, we are. Yeah, like there were some, Willow Creek came out that year, which is not one that I particularly love, but it's good. Yeah, I think, again, people just get wrapped up in the in in the scares, the cheap, the cheap uh, jump scares, yeah. and that's it. I, I don't. I think that that is the definition of horror films for some people. And I think that if that is the case, then this ticks mm-hmm. that box. Oh, Horror Stories 2 came out of South Korea that year. The anthology, mm. which is very good. Yeah, so it's just funny to me that like that's to say that it's the best horror film of 2013 is just, that's it, just that's such a foolish that's a statement. That's a bold and foolish statement. Yeah, that's real. That's real closing your eyes and pointing to the outfield, you know? And yeah. then you're like, oops, <laughs> fly out. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. again, Evil Dead came out that year. Yeah. I think that I think that's a pretty fair note to end on. Yeah. Personally. Um <laughs> So you guys know where to find us. We're at Horror Babes Pod on Twitter. We're at Horror Babes Podcast on Instagram. And we're at HorrorBabesPodcast.com. So until next time, babes, stay safe out there in this heat wave if you're having to endure it in New York City just like us and, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere anywhere else in the U.S. that might be dealing with a heat wave. Poor Portland. Poor Portland. I did not expect that. Also, just go watch good horror movies. If you want to watch two really great horror films from 2013, watch VHS 2 and watch Evil Dead. Agreed. Agreed. And, and horror stories too. I really like that one. 
And if you've been enjoying us, please give us a rating or a review on iTunes. They, that truly means the world to us. So we Til love you. Till next time. Bye, Bye babes. babes. Yeah, babe.